Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. I'm your host, Justin Chang, and with me is Randy Nelson. Hey, everybody. Hey, Randy. Um, Hi. Star Trek Las Vegas is happening right now. Oh, that's right. That's a big one. Yeah, I would like to go sometime. Next year, mm-hmm. probably, would be the time to go, though. Since it's, oh, yeah. It's the uh, big anniversary. Big anniversary, and is next year the release of... Uh, Beyond? Is yes. that what it's called? Star yep. Trek Beyond? Star Trek Beyond. Beyond what, though? Beyond your imagination. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> My imagination hasn't been working uh, so great this week, so fortunately I've had Star Trek to watch to fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> I caught up on Search for Spock, finally. Oh, awesome. Did and they find him? Yes, they did find him. Spoilers. Oh. Yeah, whoops. Sorry, folks, in case you didn't know. They and, found Spock. And I saw Voyage Home. Uh, but I've oh, not, yeah. I've not seen Final Frontier again yet. Oh. You know, you could probably just skip right over that. I probably could, but I've yeah. come this far, so. Yeah, you're dedicated. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. I can, I respect it. I respect your, your dedication to this project. Um, so Voyage Home. Um, you know, I haven't seen that in many, many years. Uh, I loved it when it came out. I, I just loved it, and uh, I remember, you know, watching it a ton on home video. Um, had you seen it before? Yeah, I've seen all of these several, oh, okay. several times. Oh, I wasn't sure, like, how many times you'd, you'd seen it before or anything. I was just wondering if it held up at all, or if it was just kind of... Uh, and it, plus, it, you've lived in the Bay Area, so... Yeah, it's very, very dated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's still a fun movie, and it was really easy to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember it being really fun... Um, you know, I didn't live in the Bay Area at the time, um, so I wasn't as, you know, kind of, I imagine now I I kind of think like, oh, wait, hold on, they're at the Monterey Bay Aquarium? That's like nowhere near San Francisco. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be in Sausalito. Oh, right. Nope. It's definitely not. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't think there's, uh, there's some cute antique stores in Sausalito, but <laughs> I don't think they're going to find uh, find their whale there, unless it's a little model of a whale or something. Well, in the future, that's where T'Pol will be, is in Sausalito. That's right. Huh. It all comes back together. It's one big cycle involving time travel, apparently, which uh, we'll be getting to mm-hmm. on this episode. Yeah, uh, it's been a pretty uh, decidedly non-Trek, except for the episodes we watch, non-Trek week for me. Um... You know, I'm still super interested. I don't know if I, I talked on the last episode about um, this new board game I'm really excited about called uh, Star Trek Five-Year Mission. Uh, it's coming later this year from Mayfair Games, uh, famously a publisher of uh, the really popular game Settlers of Catan, or just Catan nowadays. Um, did I talk about that? Or did I talk about that with you? Or did I talk uh, I about it on the show? I think we talked about it offline. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm really big into board games. Um, actually, one of my favorite board games is Star Trek Catan, actually, which is seems like it would just be kind of a pasted on, you know, franchise for an existing board game. But it's actually really, really, really good. Um, and so now the company has the Star Trek license for board games. So in this game, it's like a cooperative game where... You roll dice, and bear with me, folks. Uh, you you roll dice, and it's it's all about like uh, averting red and blue and yellow alerts. Um, but the cool thing is, you can actually play as either the original series or the TNG cast uh, and crew. 
uh, the crew of the ship, not the crew that produced the show. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I'm the key grip from TNG and the best I'm boy be from Brandon the- Braga. Yeah, I'm gonna be Brandon Braga. Um, no, it's it's the ca- it's the crews, and then you can like mix and match them, and and apparently you know, like flip over the cards, and like on one side of the card you have Bones, or you know you have McCoy, and the other side of the card you have Crusher. So I don't know. It's supposed to be actually really fun. So maybe uh, maybe I'll pick that up when it comes out, and let our loyal listeners know if they should, you know, plunk down however much it is to roll dice and take names as members of the Enterprise crew. Let's talk about a different Enterprise crew. Yeah, let's talk about an underappreciated Enterprise crew. I'm going to say it. Uh, we're going to talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 2, Episode 15, Ceasefire. Uh, original air date, February 12th, 2003. Yeah. Uh, the episode opens with the camera panning over a dark, war-torn city. Uh, a female Andorian reports to Shran... The uh, Jeffrey Combs character. Shran tells her that the Vulcans want to discuss terms for a ceasefire. Uh, that's the title of the episode. And Shran wants the help of a pink skin who knows how to deal with Vulcans. Archer. It's the opening credits. Uh, when the episode comes back, uh, Archer is in his ready room. And he's on a call with Admiral Forrest. Forrest tells Archer that Ambassador Saval wants Archer to go to a planet which has the Vulcan name Pon Makar or the Andorian name Waitan. The planet is on the border between the two peoples and both sides claim it belongs to them. Uh, Archer is uh, supposed to help resolve the conflict, which they haven't been able to resolve for a 100 years. Uh, Forrest says it's important because it's the first time the Vulcans have asked for human help, and Archer is the closest thing they have to an ambassador out in space. Archer says that they'll get there as fast as they can. In Archer's dining room, Trip tells Archer that he doesn't like that the engines are running at 110%, though T'Pol mentions that they're rated for 120 uh, Archer gives some exposition about Pon Makar. It's a Class D planet that's not much bigger than Earth's moon and was claimed by the Vulcans in 2097. Trip asks why the Vulcans and Endorians are fighting over a Class D planet, as that means it's uninhabitable. T'Pol explains that the Endorians were terraforming the planet and established a settlement. Uh, the Vulcans came to the conclusion that the settlement was actually a military base, but there was no evidence uh, the Andorians refused to let the Vulcans inspect the colony, so they annexed Pon Makar, and the Andorian colonists were forcibly removed. So, more Vulcans being kind of shifty, I think. Yeah. Or who? Who? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know yeah. who's the point. Uh, the Enterprise makes it to Pon Makar. Uh, Saval boards Enterprise and asks why Shran asked for Archer personally. Saval doesn't want Archer there, but he explains that Shran and his forces occupied the settlement on Ponmakar. The Vulcans enforce the Treaty of 2097, but two dozen Vulcans have been wounded and three have been taken hostage. Shran is willing to negotiate for the Vulcan hostages' safe return, but only if Archer serves as the mediator. Uh, Saval wants Archer to take Subcommander Marak with him to meet with Shran, but Archer only wants to bring along the Vulcan he knows he can trust to Paul. 
Uh, Archer goes to sick bay because Phlox needs to bombard Archer's immune system with an analeptic radiation to protect them from the mutagenic pathogen on the planet's surface. T'Pol doesn't need the treatment because Vulcans are not affected by the pathogen. While Archer is getting irradiated, he and Phlox talk about Enterprise's goals. Uh, maybe they're not out in space to observe comments, Archer says, but maybe they're out to prove that humanity is ready to join a larger community. Yeah, I was expecting him to get super Archer at this point, but fortunately, I think it it went pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> he reined it in a little bit. Yeah, and the sound in the scene was really weird um, because you had Archer in the chamber and then you had uh, Flocks outside and they kept cutting back and forth. So like one of them would be muffled <laughs> and then the other would be muffled. I just it was like a weird choice choice for me. It was hard to follow late at night. Right. Uh, as Archer is leaving, Phlox tells Archer to be careful on the planet because his experience as a medic in the Denobulan infantry proved mm -hmm. that battlefields are unpredictable, even when they're supposed to be a truce. Uh, Archer and T'Pol take a shuttle pod down to the surface. T'Pol wants to make sure that Archer is sufficiently prepared, but Archer didn't have time to peruse everything. Instead, Archer wants to convince Shran that he can trust Archer. Then wing it. On the surface, uh, Archer and Paul meet in an abandoned building, uh, which is at the coordinates that they were given. The Andorians pop out with uh, weapons in their hands. And, and antennae moving around. <laughs> well, they're Andorians. That's what they yeah. do. I just love their antennae. They kind of reminded the tick from the live action show. Oh, yeah. Uh, they surround Archer and Paul. They're unhappy about Archer having a Vulcan escort, but Archer says that T'Pol was the one who helped expose the listening outpost at Pajem. Uh, Archer and T'Pol have hoods placed over their heads and are taken to Shran. Uh, Archer is shown the hostages, or as the Andorians say, prisoners, uh, and they're alive. The Andorian woman from before, who appears to be Shran's second-in-command, is very aggressive with T'Pol. Uh, Shran tells Archer that he will release the prisoners on the following conditions. One, all Vulcan military forces must withdraw. Two, the territorial compromise must be rescinded. And three, the Vulcans must concede sovereignty of Waitan to Andoria. Uh, Archer can't believe that Shran would expect that the Vulcans would agree to these terms. Uh, Shran wants to affect change by speaking with Saval, but he wants to meet on Shran's terms. Uh, Archer tells Shran that the Andorians need to make a gesture to the Vulcans, such as freeing the hostages. Shran refuses to release all of them, but he and Archer agree that one can be released as a show of good faith. Yeah, he's not, you know, totally without reason. Mm-hmm unreasonable as it were uh but his second in command is a little shifty yeah she is unreasonable <laughs> she's angry back on the enterprise saval refuses to meet with the andorians Maroc tells archer that they detected three andorian vessels approaching uh they will arrive in less than five hours the vulcans want to stop the ships from approaching which to points out would be an act of war Saval refuses to listen to Archer. Archer says that at least the Andorians were willing to sit down and talk, and now it's Saval's move. 
uh, in the launch bay, Saval heads toward the shuttle pod, having agreed to meet with Shran, with Archer, and Tabal. Trip has a bad feeling about all of this. Oh, so he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Meanwhile, on the planet, Shran is preparing to meet with Saval, telling his men to treat Saval with respect. Shran's right-hand woman, who we learn is named Tara, doesn't want Shran to speak with the Vulcans. She wants to fight them, and she doesn't trust Archer because the only thing she knows about pink skins is that they are friends with the Vulcans. As the shuttle pod is heading towards the surface, uh, the shuttle pod is attacked. There's too much interference, so T'Pol can't pinpoint the source, and due to the Andorian jammer, uh, Archer cannot hail the Enterprise. Archer wants to fly back to the Enterprise, but the shuttle pod takes a major hit, and they have to crash land. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer, T'Pol, and Saval exit the shuttle pod. Saval recognizes where they are because he was an intelligence officer with the occupation force. Saval wants to head to the nearest Vulcan base, but Archer is intent on meeting with the Andorians because he gave his word to Shran and wants to give him the benefit of the doubt. On the Enterprise's bridge, Trip speaks with Maroc about the status of the shuttle pod. Trip wants to be involved in any rescue operation, but Maroc wants to use Vulcan forces to find Archer, T'Pol, and Saval. Meanwhile, Shran is unhappy that the shuttle pod was attacked, but Tara suggests that the Vulcans attack their own ambassador because they are devious. <laughs> Uh, as Archer, T'Pol, and Saval are searching for Shran's base, they hear weapons fire. Archer goes off to assess the situation. While they're alone, Saval wonders what's with the human obsession with Vulcan ears. I believe they're envious, T'Pol responds. <laughs> and, and he, and, uh, and Saval mentions that T'Pol has picked up a slight human accent. Mm. He mentions that if she had stayed in San Francisco, she might have had a diplomatic post of her own. However, she explains that she stayed on Enterprise because the humans still need Vulcan help, and she finds the work gratifying. Saval tells her that is an emotion, and she has also expressed the emotion of arrogance. Sapal assures him that she has not been contaminated by Archer's emotions. Archer returns and tells them to keep moving. Back at the shuttle pod, Tara and an Endorian soldier are looking for Archer, Sapal, and Saval. On the Enterprise, Hoshi tells Trip that she might have found Archer's biosign, which means he's alive. Mayweather tells Trip that the Andorian ships will arrive in 13 minutes, and Trip tells Reed to put the ship on tactical alert. Oh, Re- here we go. <laughs> yeah. Not Reed alert, but tactical alert at least. Reed gives a little smile when he hears the alarm. Amazing. On the planet, Archer, Tabal, and Saval are still trying to get to Shran when they come under fire. Saval gets hit, but he's alive. Uh, Tabal notices that they are being attacked by Andorian weapons. Archer yells at the attackers to hold their fire because he's brought Saval to meet with Shran. The attackers continue to fire at them, however. Uh, Archer gives Saval his phase pistol so that he and T'Pol can cover him while he sneaks around to take out the Andorian who's shooting at them from some high ground. Out in space, the three Andorian ships have arrived and are heading right for the Vulcan ships. Trip orders Mayweather to fly right between the Vulcan and Andorian ships. 
Back on the planet, Archer is sneaking around to take out the other Andorian, uh, who is firing at Tapal and Saval. He sees that it's Tara. He points the Andorian rifle uh, that he got from the soldier he took out earlier at Tara and tells her to drop her weapon because he's not sure if the rifle is set to stun. Uh, Tara tells him that the rifle doesn't have a stun setting and drops her weapon. Tara wants to fight for what belongs to the Andorians, and she doesn't want everything negotiated away by cowards like Shran. As Archer is following her, his foot slips through the floor, and Tara tackles him. They fight, but Archer is eventually able to knock her down. Uh, Shran and some of his soldiers show up. In space, the Enterprise is in the middle of the Vulcans and the Andorians. They're both hailing Enterprise. Trip puts Maroc and the Andorian named Talev on a conference call. Trip tells <laughs> both of them that he will fire on any ship that makes an aggressive move. Uh, on the surface, Tara tells Shran that Archer was going to kill her. Uh, Shran asks why his loyal lieutenant would lie to him. And Saval asks if all of Shran's officers are willing to solve things peacefully. Saval asks if there might be Andorians who would want a war with a Vulcan. Uh, Tara argues that she has risked her life for Shran in the past. Archer says that he risked his life to get Saval to Shran because he asked Archer to do so. Additionally, Archer says that if Shran checks Saval's wound and the damage on their shuttle pod, he'll find Andorian weapon signatures. Shran confronts Tara, and she admits to everything. Uh, she is taken away and tells Shran that there are other Andorians who want to fight instead of negotiate. Shran tells his medics to see to Saval's wounds because they have a lot to discuss. In space, the Vulcan ships are heading to the planet, and the Andorians are following. Trip has Reed aim the phase cannons at the ship's weapons. Uh, just then, Hoshi gets a call from Archer. Archer gives Trip the update that things are going well on the surface, and the reason why the Vulcan and Andorian ships are headed towards the planet is because they're picking up their people. Later, uh, Archer has a star log. Uh, Saval has had difficult but productive talks with the Andorians. In the conference room on Enterprise, Archer is sitting at a table with Shran, T'Pol, Saval, and Maroc. Shran is not happy with the negotiations, but has Saval join him in a toast of their mutual dissatisfaction. Uh, <laughs> Saval says that Vulcans don't drink, but he makes an exception this time. Uh, Tran makes a toast to the ceasefire, and Saval makes a toast to the continuation of the talks on Andoria. As Sapal escorts Saval and Barak to the airlock, Saval tells Archer that his presence has not been, quote, overly meddlesome. <laughs> High praise. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, so, um, I liked this episode. I thought it was, it was actually pretty good. Um, and it was, uh, interesting to note that it seems like we've got a full-fledged, uh, Andorian, uh, Vulcan story arc here. I mean, I guess if it wasn't already pretty apparent, um, but we're now on uh, the third episode of it. Um, and I've actually really enjoyed all three episodes so far. Um, I think the Andorians are, it seemed like they were going to be 
the Klingons of um, Enterprise. I mean, even though the Klingons have been on Enterprise, these guys seem like they were going to play more of that antagonistic, really militaristic uh, and unreasonable role. Uh, so it was kind of cool seeing, you know, them actually, you know, being able to see that, hey, maybe more evidence that, you know, maybe they're not as um, as devious as the Vulcans uh, would would have you believe, and the Vulcans um, are not as honest as they would have you believe. Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting kind of a turning of the tables, um, and and for as much as you know, we've kind of harped on the over, you know, maybe sometimes the overabundance of of Vulcan storylines and you know Vulcan presence on the show. I think that this is a pretty cool way to look at Vulcans and and like see that they're kind of. You know, they, they have wars and they have, you know, spies and they have, you know, all these kind of situations that you, you always just look at. I mean, Vulcans, I don't know about you, but, you know, I was, always kind of just thought they were like space monks and they right. just kind of didn't get involved in these trivial things. They were just like so beyond these things. But that's a really interesting part of this whole Andorian Vulcan uh, uh, standoff on, on Enterprise is that you get to. I think these, they're probably the bat, the, the Andor, this whole Andorian situation is probably the best kind of mirror to the, to, to seeing the Vulcans in a new light. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, we got some backstory and it's always cool on, on characters like, you know, Safal and it's cool to see, um, Archer kind of, you know, for as much as he talks about it, it's interesting to see Archer taking on that kind of, you know, like Picard-esque, like trusted dignitary role. Um, that you know, it's it's a pretty big deal that you know these people now at this point when that when the episode ends, you kind of get the sense that they both kind of consider Archer to be have been, played a big role in this. Um, so that's cool. Um, and just just the amount of continuity that that's still going on. Um, I'm a big fan. Anytime they can, you know, build up some kind of links between episodes we've seen in the past and you can kind of see where things are going in the future. So no, I liked it. It was cool. And it, it, in a way, you know, it reminded me a bit of, you know, when you have that kind of, um, uh, you have that Terra character who really does to me seem like she kind of belongs with the Klingons. Like <laughs> <laughs> she's like part of the Klingon wannabe fan club. Um, it was kind of cool. Like you, you didn't quite have that, you know, like in a, an assassination, kind of scenario like in uh spoiler alert like in uh un- the uh undiscovered country um but you have that situation where you know the humans have helped you know uncover something that maybe you know helps smooth out peaceful re- or create peaceful relations mm-hmm. um cool but so what did you think uh, i like this episode quite a bit actually mm-hmm. um like you said the vulcan and endorian conflict has been a really interesting uh subplot yeah. Uh, throughout these episodes of Enterprise, um, this along with the uh, temporal Cold War mm-hmm. are the two most interesting arcs for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's cool to see. Uh, first of all, Shran is a very interesting character, and yeah. it's cool to see. You know, Andorians are not bad guys, and Vulcans are not good guys. There are shades of gray in between. Mm-hmm. And Archer was actually really great in this episode. Mm-hmm. He um, he wasn't overly Archer, <laughs> and he just wanted to smooth out peace between these two peoples. 
and it's it's kind of crazy. Like you mentioned that that you know Archer was actually pretty great. Um, and then you just you contrast that with um, an episode like uh, the one where you know he was he was you know uh, Porthos. Yeah, never you don't want anything bad to happen to Porthos. But the episode where he was you know freaking out when when Porthos had contracted that pathogen on the alien world, um, and and where he was just acting like this petulant teenager. And you're just like, this is not even the same show. It's like, not the same character, not the same show. And uh, I'm just hoping we get to see more of this writing of, the, of Archer this way. Mm -hmm. yeah. He seems like he's in command. Like, he's really, you know, he's good at his job. Yeah, yeah. He's really capable at this point. Mm -hmm. And hopefully he doesn't slide back into <laughs> a night in sickbay, Archer. Oh, oh yeah, that was the episode. <laughs> Damn it, you said its name. It's like Voldemort. Oh, no. <laughs> did it. No, but uh, yeah, definitely a big thumbs up for this episode. Um, yeah, and uh, funny you should mention um, Temporal Cold War. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Why is that? Well, because, you know, <laughs> we'll have to let our listeners uh, figure out yeah, what I'm getting Yeah, just figure at. that one out. Yeah, right? uh, no, we're going to talk about the next episode, Future Tense. Uh, but first, let's take a little break. UPN Wednesday, a mysterious spaceship is brought aboard Enterprise. We've attracted the attention of two hostile species. Unlocking its secrets has the power to change the course of history forever. This is the first chance we've had to get some answers. An all-new Enterprise that will leave you on the edge of your seat. And we're back. Uh, we're going to talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 2, Episode 16, Future Tense. Oh. Original air date, February 19th, 2003. Uh, take it away, Randy. Hey, so, yeah, I'm just going to preface this a little bit before we get into the synopsis uh, by mentioning that, you know, this episode was um, one of many, one of maybe a couple dozen, um, written by Mike Sussman. Uh, and for those of you who've been listening to us for a while, you might remember uh, that back in uh, episode six of season two of um, Enterprise, the episode Marauders, uh, we mentioned that the um, martial art that uh, T'Pol teaches the uh, miners on the planet uh, was called Susman or Susman, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, it's named after him. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Mike Sussman wrote this episode, um, which, as I said, uh, February 19th, 2003. Uh, the episode opens on the Bridge of Enterprise. Uh, on the view screen, uh, the crew is watching a kind of cylindrical, uh, kind of uh, blasted up object floating past. Um, Archer uh, wants to know if there's any uh, bioscience that can be detected. And to Paul says, uh, that she can't detect any, but for some reason, the hull of this small object, uh, seems to be kind of rejecting their scans. Um, Archer, uh, you know, wanting to know more about it, obviously, um, says, uh, that they should bring it into Launch Bay 2. Um, in Launch Bay 2, uh, we have, uh, Reed, uh, to Paul and Archer, um, they are looking over the object, which looks kind of like, uh, like a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, for lack of a better uh, description, uh, this long cylindrical object, 
Um, the ship, as Reed points out, uh, has no windows. Uh, they can't really tell if it's coming or going. Um, no, it seemingly doesn't have any hatches, uh, until T'Pol, uh, finds one, uh, what she thinks may be a hatch. Uh, so Reed grabs a face pistol, uh, and basically starts, uh, firing away at the hatch to try to, uh, uh, cut away at what he assumes is some kind of like welding that's that's welded this hatch shut um archer gets up there and uh he starts forcing uh the door open and it slides away uh it looks kind of like the whole thing as he starts to go in is kind of messed up uh like the outside uh he goes in and lo and behold there seems to be a single occupant a humanoid uh that he spins around uh, at which point to paul who's been using um a scanner uh, to make sure that it's safe to go inside uh, reveals that the uh, body inside is human. So, bum, da, bum, da, da. so we have our credits. Uh, coming back from credits, um, we are in sick bay. Uh, Phlox is uh, confirming uh, to Archer that this was, uh, <laughs> past tense, a human male. Um, and he's going to run some further scans to uh, figure out uh, how old the the uh, the man uh, was and when he died. Uh, and he tells Archer that apparently uh, the Enterprise crew wasn't the first humans to make it out this far. Um, Archer asks for a DNA sample uh, with the uh, hope that if this person was somehow a member of Starfleet, uh, that his... Um, Records would be on file, and they can figure out uh, who he was. Uh, T'Pol comes in, and uh, she informs uh, Captain Archer that there are no ships in uh, any uh, nearby, uh, or there are no ships nor uh, inhabited systems nearby. Um, and Archer, at this point, uh, says something really interesting. Uh, he wonders if this could possibly be uh, the remains of Zephram Cochran, who, as we know from... Uh, well, anyone who's seen the original series or from uh, Star Trek First Contact knows was the, you know, or even this show, sorry, uh, the creator of the warp drive. Um, and um, Tabal's wondering, uh, even though, you know, the, the, the stories go that Zephyr Cochran was out piloting a, a one-person ship uh, when he went missing, um, she's wondering how he could have uh, traveled out this far. Um, back in Launch Bay 2, uh, we have Reed, uh, Trip, and uh, Mayweather. Um, Reed's pointing out that the ship seems to be designed for stealth, um, and that if it hadn't been so damaged, they probably wouldn't have even picked it up on their sensors. Um, they ask uh, Travis if he thinks that it could have been some kind of cargo hauler. Uh, he says uh, no, and they're wondering if maybe either... Uh, the ship, because the ship, um, as Trip uh, realizes, doesn't seem to have any means of propulsion. Uh, so basically, uh, they're wondering if maybe it hitched a ride, or maybe it was an escape pod. Um, but they point out that even a escape pod would need some sort of engines uh, to get it out of uh, out of danger. Uh, in his ready room, uh, Archer is talking to Admiral Forrest, uh, and he's asking him if maybe this was some sort of secret mission uh, that Starfleet hadn't told them about. Um, uh, Admiral Forrest says, you know, maybe uh, they found a ship 
that had been launched from Vega Colony, but that that didn't seem very likely because they were actually uh, past Vega Colony at this point. Um, they also he also points out that it could have been uh, a cargo ship of some type. Um, Archer tells Forrest, uh, carrying on um, with the Doctor uh, with the Zephram Cochran uh, hypothesis, that Phlox had sent uh, has sent a request to Cochran's family, uh, basically for a DNA sample or just genetic profile, uh, so that they can see if it could possibly be Cochran. Um, but for as uh, Admiral Forrest points out. Um, the Enterprise is about 100 light years from Earth, so um, if it really is Cochrane, uh, as he said, you might have solved the greatest missing person case of the century. Uh, Archer points out, though, that if we haven't, we've discovered an even bigger mystery, which mm-hmm. I'm going with the latter here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, here's where things can start to get a little crazy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so back in Launch Bay 2, um, Reed and Trip. Uh, Malcolm and Trip are checking out uh, the mysterious ship. Uh, they're inside, and they're actually pulling up one of the floor plates. Um, they take up the uh, like a hatch on the floor, and they discover like this weird kind of uh, toroid, like uh, uh, like a donut shaped object with all these blue wires coming out of it. Um, and uh, Malcolm tells Trip that based on his scans, it is some kind of biomatter. Um, at this point, Trip asks if it's, he means it's some sort of like, organic circuitry, which of course reminds us probably immediately of, uh, the circuitry on board, uh, the Voyager, mm-hmm. uh, which was organic based. So things are definitely getting weird. Uh, they ask if, uh, Flock should come down and take a look, and they agree that that might be a good idea. Um, at that point, though, they notice that underneath this kind of biocircuitry, there's another hatch. Uh, they both, uh, use some tools to remove that, lift it up. They shine their lights down into it, and, uh, they discover that it is a long vertical shaft with a uh, ladder inside. And so, um, bearing in mind that this ship doesn't seem that large and it's in, uh, the launch bay, uh, and there's basically shouldn't be much below the ship except for the bay doors and space. Um, so something is afoot. It's a TARDIS. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> uh, so they go kind of go back and forth. Uh, are they hallucinating? Is it some kind of hologram? Uh, at this point, Trip um, asks for Reed to hand him a wrench, uh, which he proceeds to drop down the hole, and it takes uh, a couple of moments to hit the bottom. Uh, Trip goes to uh, climb down into the shaft, uh, and Malcolm uh, kind of thinks he's crazy for doing this, but he says, "You know, hey, I gotta get my wrench back." Um. So, anyways, uh, before they can even, you know, Malcolm can protest and ask if uh, they should call a bridge first. Trip's already down in the tube. Um, they go uh, down to a sub-level, a whole other room. Uh, I noted that uh, Malcolm has a, a great one-liner. Where he says, uh, this gives space exploration a whole new meaning. Uh, the two of them talk about uh, papers that they've read on the idea of, like, uh, basically warping space to create more room. Uh, we actually saw this in a previous episode with um, uh, the the Time Traveler character, uh, 
when he uh, is revealed that in his quarters there's a kind of a hidden compartment that doesn't seem to be possible. It's like reaching into another dimension or something. Yeah, in Daniel's quarters. Daniel's, yeah, yeah, I was reading his name. Um, so they're looking uh, around the room, and there's a. Uh, they do not find Desmond. No, they don't. <laughs> there's uh there's not there's not that there's there's no uh noticeable companions anywhere um but there is a the strange hatch on the wall uh they remove that and uh there's this uh kind of uh device inside or they're picking up or sorry that it actually uh they they seem to be picking up an energy signature coming from behind uh this panel on the wall at that point uh, we're back on the bridge um and mayweather is telling uh Captain Archer, that a vessel has dropped out of warp and are is heading for Enterprise, and to Paul uh, announces that it is a Sulaban ship. They're back. Yep, they're back. So, hmm, let's see. We've got a uh, strange ship, Sulaban. Okay. Um, it doesn't seem to be a warship. Uh, Tapal points out that it doesn't really have that much weaponry. Um, at that point, uh, Hoshi uh, chimes in that the Sulaban ship is hailing them. Uh, the Sulaban captain uh, basically says, hey, you have something that belongs to us. Uh, Archer kind of has a little witty repartee back and forth um, and says that he should um, ask uh, Silic uh, about him. Basically like, hey, you should ask uh, Silic what happened when he messed with me. Uh, he'll tell you, he says, he'll tell you I don't respond well to threats. Uh, back inside of the TARDIS, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, <laughs> strange vessel, um, they, uh, Trip and Reed, um, are removing the panel that they got the energy readings from earlier, um, they discover some sort of device behind it, uh, and remove it to take to engineering. Uh, back on the bridge, um... The Suliban clearly uh, did not call Silic and have opened fire on Enterprise. Um, we are down in Launch Bay 2 after this, and we see, uh, but Trip and Reed don't see right away, uh, that the um, Suliban have already transported onto Enterprise and are kind of crawling around all cloaked-like uh, on an effort to steal the ship back and open the launch bay doors. Um, there's a scuffle, um, and um, uh, Trip gets knocked down. Uh, Reed tries to, to shoot it out with him um, and isn't having much luck. Uh, back on the bridge, Ahoshi tells Archer that someone is trying to open the launch bay doors. Uh, Archer wants them to be locked out, but Hoshi responds that she's unable to. Um, they're trying to get a security team down there, um, and they decide to target the engines on the Suliban ship because they've actually been able to take out their weapons, uh, and they're now going to prepare the grappler uh, to lock onto them so they can't get away. Uh, Archer says the reason why he wants to do this is because it's clear that the Sulban really want this uh, ship that they found, and he intends to find out why. Uh, down in the launch bay, um, we see that at this point, uh, 
just as the Suleiman ship starts to get away, they beam their people uh, back on board. Uh, at this point, there's uh, Captain Starlog, uh, where Archer explains that he's gotten in touch with a Vulcan ship called the Talkir, um, and the Vulcans have agreed to meet the Enterprise in three days uh, to pick up the strange craft and transport it back to Earth. Uh, Archer says he's hopeful that they won't have any more run-ins with the Sulaban before they get uh, to the rendezvous point with the Vulcans. Uh, en- engineering. Uh, we join Archer, Trip, uh, and T'Pol, uh, who are looking at the strange device that Malcolm and Trip removed from the, uh, let's just call it the TARDIS at this point. Uh, <laughs> they are trying to figure out what it is, um, and there are some guesses going around. Uh, it's actually Trip that proposes that this could be the, uh, black box of, uh, the strange TARDIS-like object. Uh, T'Pol seemingly knows what a black box is, so maybe, you know, they also have these on Vulcan ships, uh, and she helpfully points out that it could tell uh, them some more about who built the ship or what happened to it. Um, basically, uh, Trip, you know, he thinks that's a good idea, but he says, you know, well, maybe if we could get the device working, uh, we can uh, figure out who it was. Um, he then tells Captain Archer that he should really go down into the ship and that he's, quote, not going to believe his eyes, to which I made specific note Archer replies, bigger on the inside. <laughs> so a definite, you know, we have to point out, folks, that this episode uh, hails from two years before they rebooted Doctor Who. That's not to say that Mike Sussman or other people involved in the story uh, weren't huge Doctor Who fans. So, um, anyways, uh, at this point, uh, Flox contacts uh, Captain Archer over the comms and asks him to get to sick bay. Um, in fact, he says it's pretty important that he needs to see him right away. So we're at this point. We're in sick bay. Uh, Flox um, has been looking over the. Um, human, quote-unquote, body, as far as we know. It is human, uh, but he's found something strange. Um, he's been able to run a, 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 a analysis of the body's DNA uh, and has not been able to find any match in the Starfleet database, so we can assume uh, it's not Zephyr and Cochran or anyone else that we know of. Um, but Phlox has actually discovered something strange. Uh, he's found that what he originally thought was a mutation um, was actually some chromosomes uh, and DNA from a Vulcan. Um, So basically what they're dealing with here is a human-Vulcan hybrid. Um, If that weren't enough... hmm? It's Spock. They found Spock. Well, yeah, basically, right? (laughs) So that would have been pretty interesting, actually. Uh, But we we find out um, not a moment later um, that... Uh, you know, after Archer points out that it doesn't seem possible for there to be a human uh, Vulcan offspring, uh, because, it, you know, as he points out, the humans and Vulcans haven't known each other that long, uh, really. Flox uh, drops another bomb. Uh, he says that he also found uh, DNA belonging to several other species. Um, so he points out that there's Torellian, 
uh, another he can't, and another he can't uh, identify. But what Phlox uh, reveals is that basically that this person, this humanoid, is the product of multiple generations of interbreeding between different species. Uh, like Crewman Daniels. Yeah, basically. I mean, because that's what we've we've heard from him in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that idea of, you know, like eventually everyone kind of, uh, you know, intermixes with everyone else. And you get this person who's kind of like this amazing mixture of everything. So it's been a long time. So um, they're all things here pointing towards that word I said. Those words I said earlier, the temporal uh speaking of daniels our friend uh our friend the time traveler uh we're back at his very um uh, what's the word the uh you know they're back at the macguffin that's right <laughs> the the macguffin-esque room of of crewman daniels um archer's uh taking the lock off of the time traveler's room um and he's discussing with T'Pol, uh a database that Daniels has showed him in the past. Um, so Paul says that she's not sure Daniels would approve of them breaking into the quarters, but Archer says, we'll keep it to ourselves. Um, Archer uh, knows where the device is by this, uh, at this point, uh, so he takes it out, sets it down, and the two of them start looking through uh, all of the stuff they're not supposed to see. Yeah, uh, see, the Archer was very careful about it before. He was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're only looking for one thing. Don't look at anything else. And now he's mm-hmm. like, oh, we have this cheat book, so let's just look through this. Yeah, so perfectly put. They're basically looking through a cheat book to the future. Uh, they start looking through it, and, you know, like you said, it's not even like they're they're specifically looking... I mean, he's maybe, but... Uh, uh, he's looking through it like that, but to Paul, who's the one that first of all doesn't even believe in time travel, is looking at this thing that clearly is no technology that she knows of, that has schematics and other information on things that don't exist yet, but apparently still doesn't believe in time travel. <laughs> um, they start discussing this idea as they're looking through of um, Vulcan and Vulcans and humans uh, basically having children, um, and at this point, uh, to Paul. Uh, you know, points out that very few Vulcans uh, have ever mated with any other species. Uh, Archer jokes that uh, they're worried about contaminating their genome with a little human DNA. Uh, Paul brings up that there are some pretty big biological differences between the two species, so if they did mate, it was unlikely they could ever um, produce any offspring. Um, and there's kind of this awkward moment there between them. Yeah, the, like, sec- the sexual tension right there is just so, I don't know. It's off the chart, Yeah, basically. And it's such dramatic irony because we already know that Spock exists. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, it's not possible, but we already know. We know. Is. We know what happens. Um, so, long story short, they find uh, the, the ship. Um, they discover... Uh, that it is powered according to this device, um, that it's powered by what is called a temporal displacement drive. Um, Archer points out that it would be a very bad thing <laughs> if the Suliban got their hands on the temporal di- uh, displacement drive, uh, and so they basically can't let it fall into their hands. Uh, he brings up the temporal Cold War, um, T'Pol wonders why the 
if it is from the future, why the people that built it uh, haven't uh, come to retrieve it. At this point, uh, Captain Archer answers uh, a call over the comms. Uh, it's Mayweather uh, who alerts him that there is another alien vessel approaching the Enterprise at high warp, but it is not Suliban. On the bridge, Mayweather is watching with Archer as a ship is fast approaching the rear of the Enterprise. Uh, Archer asks if T'Pol has seen this type of vessel before, and T'Pol reveals that it's Tholian. Um, so, for those who haven't seen the original series, um, I believe this is the first time the Tholians have appeared on Trek since then. Yeah, um, since the episode The Tholian Web. The Tholian Web, which did you watch that for uh just just for fun or did you talk uh, about I've it? I've seen that in the past. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it for a very long it's time. It's a pretty famous episode. Yes. So we're seeing the Tholians again after, you know, thirty plus years. Um to Paul fills them in a little bit. These are, as she says, an extremely xenophobic race. Um and the fact that they are believed to be a non-humanoid species. Uh, Archer, nonetheless, wants to hail them and see why they're in pursuit of Enterprise. Uh, hint, it's probably for what's in your launch bay. <laughs> um, they hail them, and there's some really creepy sound effects of apparently what the Tholians sound like. Uh, we get a machine voice, kind of like Siri, um, but not quite as, as good. Uh, we get a, a computer, uh, translation of what the Tholians are saying. They say that they've been sent to retrieve, uh, the ship in their hold, um, and tell the Enterprise crew that the ship that they picked up is actually very dangerous, that it's emitting some sort of temporal radiation. Um, Archer kind of blows them off and is just like, hey, thanks for the update. Um, but, you know, you can't have the ship. Um, at this point, uh, the Tholians uh, lock on with a tractor beam uh, to Enterprise and start slowing the ship down. Uh, Archer wants uh, Reed to arm the aft torpedoes, uh, but he tells Archer that their tractor beam's interfering with uh, the targeting systems. Archer gets uh, really. Uh, blustery and tells the Tholians that if they don't release the Enterprise, uh, they'll destroy the ship in the launch bay. Uh, at this, uh, there's no response, but the Tholians uh, decide to peel off uh, and leave the Enterprise B. Uh, in the mess hall, um, T'Pol is eating when Fox enters and asks if he may join her. Um... He tells to Paul that he's found yet another uh, genome in the pile, or rather another um, uh, set of DNA, or another mixture of DNA in the pilot's genome, uh, which is Rigelian. Uh, he jokes that the body just seems to be uh, full of surprises. Um, they're having a little moment here together. Um, he's asking... Uh, to Paul what she's uh, doing, uh, and she tells him that she's been instructed by Archer to take a look at the composition of the ship. Um, 
he or she also mentions that uh, it's made of some several unusual alloys and that one of them is in a semi-fluid state. Um, they get into a discussion where Phlox, uh mentions that Archer has uh, stated that he thinks the ship is from the future. Um, T'Pol doesn't really, you know, obviously seem to subscribe to that theory, uh, given the Vulcan stance on such things. Um, uh, hmm? It's reached a ridiculous point, though. It's right in front of her. Everything that she's experienced after all this time, all this time travel stuff, mm -hmm. like, how can she still deny that time travel is a thing? Yeah, I think that, you know, at this point, I'm wondering if it's just going to take her, you know, being transported by Daniels through time. I wonder if we're leading up to that. Um, but yeah, it is, it's getting beyond ridiculous <laughs> that she can't just give up on the, I guess, quote unquote logic. I think the logic would dictate if you have all this evidence, there has to be something to it. Right. Um, Phlox, uh, along these lines, Phlox tells her that the evidence seems to be gathering that this is a ship and a person from the future and that time travel is possible. Uh, he points out that uh, the Vulcan science directorate uh, has always been kind of slow to embrace new or unorthodox, or unorthodox ideas. Um, but to Paul again responds that it's not an opinion. It's simple logic. Hmm. So he tells her a story. He basically as as he usually does, has a little bit of a, of a uh, anecdote to tell, um, you know, and it, it mirrors what, what humans believe at this point, or some humans believe that, that they're the only life in the universe. And he tells her about when uh, an alien race um, called the Basari uh, made first contact with the Genobulans. Uh, there were a lot of people on his homeworld that kind of refused to accept the truth, um, even though it was staring them right in the face. So kind of pointing out what we're saying. It's staring you right in the face, and you're reluctant to accept it. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, he says that he believes in embracing surprises, and they part ways. Still, I liked it was, you know, it's a little moment between... Actually, I think we've had several of these. Uh, we usually have Phlox and T'Pol one-on-one talking in the mess hall. Yeah, because... Uh... Well, first of all, they're the only two aliens on the ship, but also mm -hmm. because T'Pol can get advice from Phlox, mm -hmm. uh, whereas she probably wouldn't take it from humans. Yeah. Uh, she's you're the other human. She's, she's more of an advising role with humans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in engineering, um, the always great pairing of uh, Trip and Malcolm are trying to work to get this device going. Um, they are discussing how, uh, the ship, uh, could be, you know, what if the ship is actually from the 31st century, um, and Reed admits to, um, Trip that when he was a kid, he always wanted to build a time machine to see the future. Uh, Trip makes a joke that Malcolm's probably the kind of person in that case that goes straight to the end of a book before they've read the rest of it. Uh, they have a discussion about, you know, Reed is, is very heavily, uh, weighing towards the idea of, you know, really wanting to see what the future holds and what the mission of Enterprise, you know, how it might turn out. Um, Reed asks, 
uh, Trip, if Daniels came back and offered it a chance to go to the future, would he take it? And Trip, you know, basically says, I'd rather have it be a mystery. Um, they also go into, uh, you know, uh, uh, a conversation about uh, Trip wondering if, you know, Reed could find out, you know, what his his one day his spouse would be like. Uh, would he you know, want that to be the case. And Reed seems like a pretty practical guy, I guess, and says that he would, yeah, sure, he'd just get straight to it, uh, basically. Uh, but they're trying to, um, uh, they're trying to figure out how to get this thing powered up, and they're wondering if they could use some of the organic circuits. So they head over uh, to the TARDIS, uh, quote-unquote, to um, see if they might be able to get access to some of those. So Tripp uh, reveals to to uh, Malcolm that if he had the ability to time travel, he would much rather uh, visit the past. Uh, and in fact, he's always wanted to meet a Stegosaurus. Uh, to which Reed replies that the Stegosaurus would probably uh, make a quick meal of you. Uh, Tripp points out that the Stegosaurus was a herbivore, um, or herbivore, depending on where you're from. Um, and Reed tells him, or uh, tells uh, Trip that if he could travel back in time, he would uh, pick the year 1588, when England defeated the Spanish Armada. Um, Trip points out that he's sure someone named Reed had something to do with that. Uh, they both pull the plate, a plate off uh, the aft section, we're assuming, of the ship. Uh, at which point, uh, the scene seems to reset itself. And I actually thought at, in this moment that maybe Netflix had glitched out. Yeah, I and thought it the was exact same thing. It was replaying the same scene. Uh, but we basically get a couple repetitions of the same scene with them slowly realizing that they're repeating the same process over again until they're basically finishing each other's sentences. I really like this part. Yeah, it was cool. It uh, was really unexpected, too. It reminded me a lot of uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that, but now that you mention it, spot on. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome movie. By the way, folks, go see it. <laughs> Rent it. It might be called Kill, Die, Repeat, maybe. Or it says that on the box, so... Um, live, die, repeat, I think. Live, die, repeat. Kill, die, repeat. All you need is kill was the manga it was based on. Right. Uh, so up on the bridge, uh, we have, uh, Trip and Phlox and Malcolm, uh, discussing basically what's just happened to them. Uh, and Phlox is scanning them and, um, saying that they, he can't find anything strange, uh, with them. But uh, Malcolm is quick to point out that they definitely didn't imagine what happened. In the Situation Room, um, they are standing around, uh, everyone, pretty much, is standing around a, a table uh, where T'Pol is telling Archer and the rest of the gathered crew uh, that the craft is uh, releasing a type of high-energy particle. Um, Archer points out that this could be the temporal radiation that the Tholians spoke of, uh, but Phlox mentions that the particle density is quite low, 
so it's unlikely that it would have any long-term or harmful effects. Um, there's a discussion uh, between the crew uh, about uh, whether or not these particles are what caused what happened uh, to Trip and Malcolm. Um, DePaul says it may have affected their perception of time, whereas Archer points out that maybe they actually were repeating the same sequence of time over and over again. Uh, just to be safe, he wants to seal off the launch bay uh, and any sections nearby. Um, at this point, uh, Trip gives an update to the captain where he says they've been able to get power to this quote-unquote black box, uh, but they're still unable to access the data. Archer asks to Paul if he may speak with her. Um, they are enter his ready room. Um, to Paul is letting uh, lets Archer know that she's concerned that the radiation could spread. Uh, Archer says uh, that they will keep it under observation and that they will soon be with the Vulcans and will be able to hand off the ship. Uh, to Paul lets Archer know that she's concerned about. Um, the alien species that may either come back or who may also be in pursuit of the ship and says that they should potentially destroy the ship. Archer kind of archers out on her uh, <laughs> and says that they're not going to do that and that he's tired of basically the temporal Cold War factions interfering and that it's time that they got more involved in the temporal Cold War and start as he says, gathering some intelligence themselves. Uh, he says, like it or not, they've actually been involved in the Temporal Cold War from the very beginning, um, and that Daniels had hinted that these were not the only factions in the conflict, and that maybe the Tholians are working with one of them. Uh, to Paul, though, warns him that his curiosity might be putting the Enterprise crew in danger. And uh, we leave this scene with DePaul suggesting that they go to read alert, or I'm sorry, tactical alert, in case the Suliban return. So in engineering, um, Archer is checking on the progress with the black box. Um, he finds that uh, it isn't actually a black box, but Trip believes it is some sort of uh, subspace uh, communication device or an emergency beacon. Um, they receive a message from T'Pol over the comms that the Suliban have returned and are approaching fast. On the bridge, um, T'Pol is in a very fast-paced uh, sequence, uh, letting Archer know that the um, Suliban will be within weapons, weapons range in, at any moment, and he tells uh, Mayweather to take the ship to maximum warp, uh, they get uh, up to speed when uh, the Suliban come over the view or uh, come on the view screen and tell them that basically the jig is up. Uh, you need to leave warp and prepare to be boarded. Um, he tells the Suliban, he being Captain Archer, uh, that the Vulcan combat cruiser that they're rendezvousing with, rendezvousing with, is nearly in range. And he suggests that they turn back. Uh, Suliban doesn't think that the Vulcans would actually risk their ship for Earthlings. 
Uh, there's a big uh, combat sequence here. It's very fast-paced. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. It was very uh, very tense. Is the future tense, if you will. Um, and uh, the the next thing uh, that happens uh, is the Tholians enter the fray. Um, so at this point, um, there's a lot going on. The Tholians are there. The Suliban are there. The Enterprise is taking a lot of damage. Um, but at this point, the Suliban and the uh, Tholians actually start battling each other. They clearly both want the ship that's in the launch bay on Enterprise and are going to start taking each other out, uh, to which Malcolm uh, says that he never thought he'd be glad to see the Suliban. Um, in engineering... Um, Archer and Trip are talking about the ship systems. Uh, Archer is um, uh, more uh, more focused on getting uh, the beacon working at this point. Uh, and Archer tells Trip when asked that his idea is that whoever built uh, the time ship, as we're assuming it is at this point, might be able to send them some help. Um. On the bridge, T'Pol tells uh, Archer that even if he's right, uh, she doesn't think that help will arrive in time. Um, so at this point, Archer says... Uh, or, or, sorry, at this point, Archer asks uh, Reed uh, if he could remove a warhead from one of the proton torpedoes and wonders how long it would take to do so and arm it manually. Uh, he tells... Reed to bring one of the torpedoes to the launch bay, and they'll work on it there. Uh, in launch bay, Archer and Reed are working together to dismantle a proton torpedo, um, and we basically get another scene where the time begins uh, repeating itself. So they're experiencing exactly what Trip and Reed experienced earlier. Um, they're able to dismantle the uh, proton torpedo and disconnect the warhead. Um, Archer tells Trip to be very careful with it. Um, and at this point, we learn uh, on the bridge uh, that the Tholians are really making quick work of the Suliban ships and that most of the Suliban have been uh, destroyed. Um, the Tholians come over, uh, the comm freak or the hailing frequency and demand the vessel, uh, in the, in the Enterprise's bay, uh, to Paul, uh, I guess, uh, putting on, uh, says that they're prepared to surrender it, uh, but they will need some time. Uh, at this point, the Tholians are clearly not willing to wait, so they've locked on, uh, to, uh, the docking port, uh, the docking ports, and uh, are, you know, preparing to do whatever it takes uh, to get the uh, the time vessel back. Um, with the warhead removed, um, Archer and Reed proceed to place the warhead into the time ship. Um, the Tholians are beginning to cut through uh, the hatches and the doors on the launch bay. Um, at this point, uh, Archer... Uh, instructs Reed to open the doors uh, to the launch bay, uh, and the time vessel 
uh, drops out into space, and one of the uh, Tholian ships uh, takes it in tow in a tractor beam. Uh, Reed tells uh, Archer that he'd recommend putting uh, some distance between the ships because of the explosion. Uh, Archer instructs him to detonate the warhead, uh, but nothing is happening. Uh, to Paul from the bridge contacts Archer and Reed to let them know uh, that the Tholians have neutralized the proton torpedo warhead. Uh, and in engineering, uh, we see Trip looking at the uh, subspace transmitter as it fades out and kind of uh, vanishes, basically um, disappears from right under his nose. Uh, and in sickbay, um, the same thing happens to the pilot's corpse. Uh, out in space, we see that the ship, the entire time ship itself, has disappeared and that the Tholians are no longer towing anything. The Tholians, at this point, uh, without their prize, move off. Archer wonders why they weren't fired on uh, by the Tholians, and um, T'Pol points out that they may have only wanted the time vessel and not uh, any more comp conflict. Uh, we we see on the um, the bridge display that the Vulcan ship that the Enterprise was to rendezvous with is there, but it has been badly damaged. Uh, it does appear, though, that the crew on board is okay, and Archer wants to give them a hand. Uh, we get another Captain Starlog, uh, letting us know that a Vulcan transport ship is on its way to tow the Vulcan ship they were to rendezvous, rendezvous with, and that fortunately uh, no one was injured on board the ship. Uh, there are also no signs of Tholians or Suliban near Enterprise. Uh, in the captain's mess hall, uh, we have Trip to Paul and Archer. Um, they're discussing the events of the episode, um, talking about uh, Trip says he wishes they had had more time to explore the ship and the rooms. Uh, to Paul is again being, you know, very contrary, um, not yet again not believing uh, that. Um, time travel exists, basically. Um, uh, and Archer goes into an explanation of if, uh, if it was really from the future, um, that whoever had sent the ship back had plenty of time, uh, to retrieve it. Uh, Tucker says that while, um, time may be irrelevant to the people who built the ship, it's not relevant, it's not irrelevant to him and that he needs to go back and make some repairs. Uh, Archer tells to Paul, after Trip leaves, that he's going to get in touch with Vulcan High Command and issue an apology for the trouble that Enterprise has caused them, um, and that he also wants to thank the Vulcans for helping out. Uh, to Paul says that she's sure that this gesture would be appreciated and that the High Command has asked her to prepare a report on what's happened. Um... Archer tells her to go ahead and issue uh, the report, and he wonders if they'll believe that one day humans and Vul Vulcans could, quote, be swapping chromosomes. Uh, T'Pol tells Archer that they're more likely to believe in time travel as the episode ends. Yeah, so a uh, little wink and a nod, Spock is coming. Um, yeah. Yeah, this was a really... I like this episode overall. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I did have some issues with some of it. The Tholians getting involved was a little bit weird in that uh, they didn't really explain themselves. And yeah, they just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, they just showed up. They're like, we want this vessel because it's leaking time radiation or something. <laughs> like, well, yeah, they were almost trying to say they were being the good guys. They were being helpful. I guess, but then they attacked the Vulcan ship. Mm-hmm. Um... But I did like the repeating time parts mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, just the future traveler from the 31st century is a neat idea. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's, I, 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 I'm kind of reluctant to, to say this because I really liked the episode as a whole. I actually really liked it. It's one, probably one of my favorite episodes so far, actually. And I, I can't put a finger on all the reasons why i just thought it was an interesting story it was an interesting take on on time travel maybe the doctor who elements spoke to me <laughs> as a minor league Whovian. um but what i was going to say is that i felt that the ending was a little lackluster compared to the rest of the episode yes like it basically the the resolution was for the transmitter of the ship, the pilot to just phase out and I guess be transported back to the 31st century. Um, there was no big kind of, you know, reveal or anything. Um, I mean, it was definitely action packed. Um, there was a lot of tension in future tense. Um, but I actually, I did look up some notes on this episode on memory alpha before we recorded and it was pointed out, uh, Mike Sussman actually, um, said that the, it just wasn't how the episode was originally going to end. It was going to end with um, a future traveler appearing on Enterprise and revealing that he was actually the person who was dead in sickbay. So it'd be kind of, you know, like a time paradox sort of situation. Uh, come, He's kind of come to collect himself uh, from the future, which I think could have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, there were some definite, uh, no, he's, uh, the other thing I read was that Mike Sussman was also, you know, very much going for some who, like some Doctor Who uh, references. Uh, and uh, Well, I mean, they straight up say it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so it was not any, there was no sort of, you know, sh- anything shady going on. It was clearly a, a tip of the hat or a tip of the long scarf to uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, uh, just in general, I actually really liked the episode. Um, you know, it, it, it had the title future tense, so it was really no surprise that it was, um, uh, it was a future ship. I was definitely though surprised by the fact that it was basically the TARDIS, that it was bigger on the inside. I thought that was a cool twist. Um, and you know, it was interesting to have this continuation of temporal cold war, um, by and large, not a whole lot happened, really. We just learned that, the, I think, that, I guess maybe the biggest thing was we learned that um, the Suluban aren't isn't the only faction that's right. involved. And we knew they weren't the only ones, but now we know the Tholians are another, or we believe that they are. Yeah, the Tholians are involved somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And for some reason, Vulcans refuse to believe in time travel, even mm-hmm. though T'Pol has seen evidence of time travel several several times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but no i i really liked it I, I it was cool i like i really liked both episodes we watched this week yeah and they were both parts of continuing story arcs mm-hmm. imagine that yeah 
yeah, uh, it's nice that after what the last couple times we recorded, mm-hmm. when we had one good one, one bad one, mm-hmm. uh, it's nice that there were two good ones. Yeah. Uh, next time we're going to talk about two more episodes, uh, Canamar and the Crossing. Uh, I really hope Weird Al did a parody of Panama to Canamar. <laughs> and it's not Desert Crossing. No, it's just The Crossing. The Crossing this time. So probably not any Clancy Brown. Mm, maybe. He's, maybe he shows up all the time. Yeah, true. Uh, Clancy Brown also not at the bottom of that hatch. No, no. This is not a lost tie-in. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye! escapes with their life. What if you're not guilty? We're all guilty as far as they're concerned. Meet the newest inmates. We gotta get out! A shocking all-new Enterprise event. Canamar, next Wednesday at 8, 7 central on UPN.